Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, and and this is for everybody. If you have been a Christian in your entire life, or maybe you're a brand new Christian, or even if you are not a Christian, even if you think, man, all of this doesn't make any sense to me, I don't understand any of this. Uh, If someone dragged you here today, this is for everyone, all of you, Uh, even those of you who are watching us online today. I want you to, just for a moment, imagine that you had 100% confidence, 100% faith in these three things. Are you ready? Are you ready? Imagine for a moment that you had no doubt, you had no, no uh, reason to not believe, but that you had 100% confidence in the fact that one, that there really was a God, that there really was a God, and that two, he is not just a God power out in the universe somewhere, but that he is a personal God, a God who wants to know you personally, who wants to hear from you personally, that he knows everything about you. And he cares about everything about you. And then imagine that this this God who exists, this God who is a personal God, who knows you and loves you and, and, and wants what is best for you, will always be with you. No matter what you're going through. Whether it's something extremely horrible or it's something extremely good, that there is nothing that would cause him to ever leave your side, that no matter what you may go through in life, that he is going to be there right by your side. Imagine that for a moment. That there is a God. That he's a personal God. And that there is nothing that could separate you from him. That he will be with you by your side. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through. Now imagine what it would be like to live your life believing those three things. Believing without a doubt That God was there, that he knew you, and that he was going to be with you wherever you were, no matter what you were going through. That he would, in his words, never leave you or forsake you. How would your life change if you actually believed all of those things? Not just believe in those things like, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before, I believe in it, sure. But actually, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, with everything that you are, you actually believed, without a doubt, you believe those things. How would your life change? How would you, your approach to the situations and the circumstances of life change if you actually believe those things? That when life comes at you and you're going through something bad, maybe some bad circumstance comes into your life, that instead of just freaking out and not knowing what to do or who to talk to, that you could just look at it and you go, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I'm not sure why this is all happening, but I trust God. And I know that he's got me and that I'm going to get through this. That you can have that that kind of trust and belief in God that, That if a temptation comes your way, there's something that comes up that you know you shouldn't be doing and and you're not sure that you're going to be able to get through it without actually jumping in, that you could say, listen, God, I I know that on my own, I'm not going to be able to, to stay away from that. But I trust you. I trust that you're going to be with me and that you're going to maneuver me around those things and keep me away from that. 
That even in the good times, when great things happen, when times that happen that, that we can celebrate, that you get that new job, that, that you get that new promotion, that, that uh, you get an inheritance that you don't even know was coming and it just falls into your lap, that you can look at God and say, man, God, listen, all of this stuff is, is just amazing and it's great and it's happening to me right now. And I just trust that you're going to be there. That when I get through it and as I go through it, I'm not going to be a different person. That I'm still going to be the same person that I was before it. That I can handle the good things that happen in my life. And that they don't change who I am because who I am isn't dependent on me. That's dependent on my trust in you. Imagine how our lives would be different if we had that kind of faith. If we had the kind of faith that no matter what circumstances may come in our life, that we wouldn't worry about it. That there would be no fear. There would be no anxiety that we could just walk into a situation and never worry because we know that God was there. That never wonder because we know that God is somehow going to work all of that out. Imagine what that would be like for all of us. Now, see, if you're a Christian, one of the things and if you've been a Christian for a while, one of the things that you may have seen is that over the years or over the days or over the months, that things have happened in your life that has caused your trust and your faith in God to grow. That it hasn't, the way that you are today is different from the way that you were when you first made the decision to follow Jesus. And it, things that happen that come across your life that increase your faith in who God is and that you can trust God. Because essentially at the center of every relationship is trust, isn't it? I mean, doesn't every good relationship that you are in, whether it is a relationship with your husband or your wife, a relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, a relationship with your parents or with your children, isn't the center of all of those relationships trust, faith? Isn't it that the best relationships that you've been in are the ones where there's total and complete trust, where you never doubt about what's going to happen? That I can say to my daughter, okay, you, you're, you, or my daughter can say to me, hey, come pick me up at the BART station at 945. And that when she's there at 940, she's confident and knows that I'm going to be there at 945. And that if I'm not there at 945, if I'm not there, if I'm, it's 950 and I'm still not there, that she's not just freaking out and, and upset and wondering what is going on, that she knows and trusts that if I'm not there, there's a good reason, but that I'm going to be there. Right? I usually get there. Do you understand what I'm saying? That you could have the kind of faith in God where no matter what your eyes see or what your heart feels or what everyone around you is saying, that you could just have the peace of knowing that, yeah, I, I trust him. And so I know that even though what I might see isn't what I want to see, isn't what I expect to see, isn't what I had hoped to see, that I know that God is still there, that he's still doing something. The center of all of that the center of any good relationship is faith and trust in the other person. And the center of our relationship with God, the entire reason that God wants to build our faith in him is because what he knows is, is that the greater the faith, the greater the relationship. Husbands and wives, you know this. The best moments of your marriage have been those moments where the two of you had complete and total faith and trust in each other. And the worst moments of your marriages 
have been in those moments when the faith and the trust have broken down. And what God wants with us, what God, this personal God who knows everything about us, who experienced everything that we've experienced, who can look deep into our lives and not just see what we need, but know in our hearts what we need. This God looks at us and says, more than anything in the world, I want to have a relationship with you. And the only way for us to have that relationship is for us to build trust, to build faith with God. That's what he wants. He wants all of us to have big faith. He wants all of us to be in a place where we have total and complete trust in him, no matter what our circumstances tell us. That's why the mission of our church is to meet people where they are, because we know that everybody is at a different place. All of us are at different places in our walk. All of us are different places in our level of faith. But we meet people where they are and we lead them to where God wants them to be. And where God wants all of us to be is to be in this place where we have big faith in him. Big faith in him. The entire story of scripture, the entire story in here is all about us breaking trust and God doing everything that he can to reconnect with us and to rebuild that trust. See, if you're a Christian, you believe that the um, account of the beginning of, of the earth's existence is true. And in that account, and even if you're not a Christian, you probably heard this. There was two people that were involved. There was Adam and there was Eve. And they were in a garden. And God said, don't do this. And they did it. And that is the story that we're told. And that's the story that we believe that this all broke down because God said, here are the things that you can do. Here's the one thing you can't do. They did the one thing you can't do. And now everything got messed up. That's the story that we're told. But that story is really about trust. It's about faith. It's the same story that many of us live today. It's the same reason that many of us can't put our faith and trust in God the way that we wish that we could. Because there's something inside us that worries, that wonders, that fears that God is holding back something from us. That we can't put fully lean on God because we're worried that there's something better out there and God is holding it back. And so we can't fully trust him. Because what if there is something better and I'm going to miss out on it because I'm putting my trust in him instead of what I could do out in the world, what I could do on my own. And so today what I want to do is I want us to take a look at this as we're starting off this series on, on, on the five things that God uses to, to grow our faith. I want us to look at, at an example today, uh, an account of something that happened with Jesus where Jesus was amazed at something. And, and scripture talks about Jesus being amazed. In fact, the word amazed that they use is, is, is all over the New Testament. It's all over the account of Jesus' life. The thing is, is that most of the time that the word amazed is used, it's used to describe people seeing what Jesus is doing. There is only one place in scripture where Jesus is amazed at something that someone else did. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It starts in, in Matthew chapter 8. And so Matthew is a book. It was written by Matthew. And Matthew is mostly an account of Jesus' life. And so Matthew, at, at, 
At, at, at some time, he sat down, and, and Matthew was one of those guys that had been around Jesus for a long time, had been following him, had, had been one of his guys. And Matthew sat down, and he wrote down an account of everything that he remembered about his time with Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 8, he writes this. He says, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Now, there were large crowds following Jesus because in chapter 6 and 7, right before this, is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And thousands of people were listening to Jesus. And he had just finished that sermon. And so right after that, he came down from that mount, down from the mountainside, and it says that large crowds followed Jesus. So here's Jesus. And he's walking down the mountain. And around him are his 12 guys. And they're, they're walking. And then behind him, coming down the mountain, are thousands of people. They're all walking where Jesus is walking. And as he's walking through, Matthew tells us that suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Now, this was huge because in this culture and in this time, if you had leprosy, you weren't supposed to be around anybody. See, in this culture, what they believed was if, they, if you had one of these diseases these diseases that you can live with, but it's totally debilitating and eventually you're going to die, that kind of disease like leprosy is. If you had that, it was because you were cursed by God. It was because you or, or one of your parents or grandparents did something and they were cursed and that curse went on down the line up until you and that's why there's something wrong with you. And so all of the people who were there believed that this man was cursed and it made him unclean. And unclean is a huge thing for Jewish people. When you're unclean, you can't be around other people. You can't go to the same places that other people go. You're totally and completely separated from the society and from the culture. And so here is this man. And he comes down and he says, he's, he approaches Jesus. He comes right before him and he kneels in front of him. And the man says this. He says, Lord, the man said, if you are willing. If you want to, it's really up to you. You have a choice. You can do it if you want to. But if you don't want to, you, you don't have to do it. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And this man had suffered from leprosy his entire life. And they, he, this, this is a person who, because of his disease, he could never go to the temple. He could never hang out with his family and friends. He was completely separated. And he goes to Jesus and said, listen, if you're willing, if you want to do this, you can heal me and make me clean. And so what does Jesus do? Does he take a step back and say, okay, hold on a second. Let's figure this out. You've got leprosy. If you touch me, all these bad things are going to happen. So let, let's, let's just take a moment. That's not what Jesus does. In fact, Matthew says that Jesus reached out and touched him. And he said, I am willing. You don't have to ask me twice. You don't have to beg me. You don't have to convince me. You want to be healed? I'm willing. And he said, be healed. And then Matthew says, instantly, the leprosy disappeared. That Jesus was willing and the man said, okay, do it right now. And it happened just like that. That that was the healing that was available to Jesus. So the story goes on and it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Now, in other translations, it confirms to us 
that that Roman officer was what we call a centurion. And centurion comes from the word century, meaning a, a hundred. And a Roman centurion was an officer who was in charge of 100 men. So there wasn't really anything particularly unusual about this Roman centurion other than the fact that he was a Roman who were the enemies of the Jews because the Romans had taken over their land and were controlling them and that he was a centurion who was in charge of men, 100 men. And so here's a centurion and he's coming towards Jesus and he's probably not alone because he's an important man. So he probably has a few of his guys around him walking up towards him. And they're walking towards Jesus and his disciples. And I can just see Jesus' disciples there watching these Romans coming toward them and going, Okay, this is it. We're done for now. They're coming after us. Right? This is like the cops are coming right at you. And they're freaking out. But it says a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. And the Roman officer said this. He said, I have, a, I have a, a, a servant. And, and that servant is a young child. And I really care about that servant. But that servant is sick. And that servant is dying. And I want you to heal my servant. Because I know that you can. Now, this is a strange thing for the disciples to experience. Because... This is an enemy. This is a person who is there to oppress you. And now he is coming to their teacher, to their rabbi. He's coming to Jesus and saying, hey, can you please heal my, my, my servant? Can you do me a favor? And, and if I was one of the disciples, I don't know that I would have the strength to not say, uh, Jesus, let's not heal the Romans, right? We're better off if the Romans stay Diseased, and that the Romans slowly die off one by one. Let's leave our healing to the Jews. I don't know if I could have not said that. That's how deep the oppression was. And so Jesus listens to this, to this Roman centurion say, I need you to heal my servant. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I will come and heal him. Now, depending on the translation and how... Different people have read this verse. Uh, some of them come out and, and, and it's a question like, should I come in with you? Should I come and heal him? Uh, others are like this. It's a statement and it says, I, I, I will come and heal him. Where, where are you? You know, are you a couple miles away? Let's go. Let's start walking. I'll go to your place and, and I'll go heal him. And that was Jesus' response. Now, listen to what the centurion replies. It says, but the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. And all of the disciples must have been nodding their heads. That's right, you ain't worthy. But listen to what he's saying. Because we had just experienced Jesus touching a, a man who had leprosy and healing him instantly. And, and this officer is now saying, listen, I, I do have someone that I want you to heal, someone that's very important to me. But I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. And then he says this. Just say the word from where you are. From right here. You don't have to go to where my servant is. You don't have to follow me where, to where I live. Just say the word right here where you are. And my servant will be healed. That's how much faith 
that this Roman centurion, who for all we know was still worshiping the Roman gods, was still out there and, and oppressing and killing the other Jews, this Roman centurion who was standing in front of him says, listen, I know that all you've got to do is say the word from right here. And my servant, wherever that servant is, is going to be healed. And then he explains why. He says this. He says, I know this, this, that you can heal him from right here. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. And I have authority over my soldiers. Listen to what he's saying. See, he is a Roman officer. He is in the military. And he knows that the people who who are responsible to him, the 100 soldiers that report to him, that he can tell them something and they're going to do it. That he doesn't have to wonder if they're going to do it. He doesn't have to worry that they might not do it. That if he says, go over there, they're going to go over there. If he says, stay there until tonight, he knows that they're going to stay there tonight. And it's not because there's anything special with him. He's the same height as all the rest of them. He's the same build as all the rest of them. He's got the same armor and the same weapons as all of the rest of them. But what he knows is that they obey him, not because there's something special about him. They obey him because he is walking under the authority of Rome. And they have to obey Rome. Because, see, it's different to disobey one man, but you are not going to disobey the empire. That's where the power is. And that Roman centurion was walking under that authority. And what he had seen with Jesus is that when Jesus told disease to leave, when Jesus told disease that it could not be here, that disease listened to Jesus. And it wasn't because of anything that was special about Jesus. He didn't see Jesus doing any magic. What he knew was was that if disease was obeying Jesus, it was because there was an authority that was over Jesus, that there was a connection to Jesus, to an authority, to a power that had the ability to control healing and disease. And so he knew. He knew that he didn't have to have Jesus go over there, that that authority, that power that Jesus had could work no matter where it was. That no matter how far away his servant was, all he had to do was say it because there was an authority that Jesus walked under. He confirms this in in the next verse. He says this, I only need to say go and they go. He's talking about his soldiers or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it because he has the authority and he knows that Jesus has authority too. And when Jesus heard this, this is verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was, and there is that word, amazed. And that word amazed in the Greek is this word, a foul mason, a foul mason. And it's wonder and it's amazement. And it is not the wonder like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. It was the wonder like, I just was watching this video and there was this police officer and he's talking to some kids on a basketball court and he's dribbling the ball and he picks it up and with one hand he goes like that and he's past the half court line and you see the ball go up in the air and in the back you see the tiny, tiny basketball hoop and you see the ball go right through it, nothing but net. Now when you see that, you don't go, oh, that's pretty cool. 
right? You go, no way! What in the world? How did that happen? That is what that word is. Jesus wasn't standing there going, oh, that's amazing. He was like, no, how is, look at this guy. In fact, that's exactly what Matthew said happened. That Jesus turned around to his guys. His guys who know him. His guys who have been with him. His guys who have seen the miracles. He turns around to them and listen to what he says. He says, turning to those who are following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this Roman centurion in all of Israel. Now remember, it's Jesus, his 12 guys, and large crowds of people. And he turns around to them and he says, dude, you guys think you've got it? Look at this guy. You guys think you understand? You guys think you trust me? No, 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 no. Look at this guy. I haven't seen this in any of you. Kind of insulting. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And that is the only time that it's ever been recorded that Jesus was amazed at something someone else did. The only time. Imagine being the guy The only guy in history who ever made Jesus go, no way. Imagine being that guy. That was this guy who didn't spend time with Jesus, who didn't know Jesus. But he knew that Jesus had authority and that when Jesus said it, it would happen. He had amazing faith. And listen, Jesus wasn't an amazed at somebody's incredible act of obedience, right? He wasn't amazed at this guy because he kept the law so well. He didn't go, man, you are amazing. I can't believe how you didn't commit adultery like that, right? I can't believe how you didn't steal. He wasn't talking to him about something that he did. It wasn't about obedience. It was about trust and it was about faith. And so for the next five weeks, one of the things that, that, that is going to be the theme through all of this is that God uses our circumstances. In fact, God adjusts, nudges. He creates circumstances where our faith and our trust in him can grow. And so there are five ways, five ways, five things that God uses to grow our faith. And for the, over the next five weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into each one of these things. Now, I need to tell you that there is no list in Scripture that you're going to find that has these five things. That, that there's nowhere that you're going to say that you're going to read that Jesus said, Here art thou five thing, things if, that thou must doeth. There's, it's not in there. All right? Um, over 25 years ago, uh, a group of pastors and ministry leaders got together and they started to look at the faith stories of different people. Different people who have come to faith, who come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And what were the circumstances under which that happened? And what they found was that they could take all of those different areas, those different ways that God grew faith in people, and he could put them, they could put them into five different categories. And those five categories are what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. The first one is this. It's practical teaching. 
And that is just to say that somewhere when you talk to people and ask them about their faith journey, ask them about how they came to faith, what they will tell you is this. The story will sound like this. Um, But then one day I went to this church. Or one day I I, I was invited to go to this Bible study. Or one day I was, uh, my friend sent me a link to this podcast. And I heard teaching. And it wasn't teaching that was kind of, you know, ethereal and, and theoretical, but it was practical, I can take this stuff and put it into my life today kind of teaching. And what we found is, is that, that for a lot of people, that moment was the catalyst that God used to grow their faith. That it was because they heard something different. For many people, it's, they had heard something and grown up in church and, and what they had heard all their entire life, it never really connected with them. And then one day, they were in a place and they heard something different and it completely changed their perspective and their understanding of who God was. So practical teaching is the first one. The next one is this, is providential relationships. That when you talk to people, and maybe for, even for some of you who are here today, some of you who are watching us online, that when you think about how your faith journey was, or your faith story, or when you listen to other people's faith story, that somewhere in there, there's a line that says like this, but then I met this guy, or then I met this girl, or, or I met this couple, or I had this friend who I hadn't seen for a long time come back into my life. And that you can look back on that situation. You can look back on meeting that man or that woman or that couple or that person or that group. You can look back on it and you can say, you know what? Now that I look back, I can see clearly that there was something that, ha- that was maneuvered around. That it wasn't just chance that I met that person, but that God dropped that person in my life at the exact right time that I needed that person to be there. Providential relationships. The third one is this, it's private disciplines. And private disciplines is, is, how they'll tell the story is, it's like one day, someone taught me how to pray. Someone taught me how to fast. Someone taught me how to read my Bible and to understand what I'm reading. Someone, someone explained to me the importance of tithing and of giving back to God. That, that something happened that I now had to do something, but it changed my life. That it changed my perspective. That in those private disciplines, in, and, and all private disciplines are rooted in one thing. They're all rooted in trusting God with something that we would rather do ourselves. In fact, most people who, have, who struggle with, with um, finding time, personal time with God, uh, especially in the mornings, the problem is, is that that morning time is your most precious time of the day. Come on, you know that. That, that, that eight or nine minutes in between snoozes, that's the best time of the day. That's the most important time. That's the time you don't want to give up. In fact, you're willing to be late at work. You're willing to drive extra fast to get to work if you could just hit that snooze button one more time. And I'm not about to give that up to spend time with God. Or prayers is, is a tough one, especially if you've grown up in church. And the prayers that you, you know are all the prayers that, that we just repeat over and over again. I mean, I could say God is great, God is good, let, God is great, God is good, thank you for food, amen. Now, I was hungry. And when you had to pray before mealtime, that's what came out, and I could just, blah, 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 and it's right there, right? And then you have the, the prayer that you say right before you go to bed, now let me down to sleep, get some sort of keep, blah, 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 and you can do that one real fast too. And it's interesting because 
Because it's only when you get in trouble or when something bad is happening that you really learn how to pray. Because all of a sudden, God is great, God is good, doesn't work anymore. And you just start talking to God. Oh, God, please don't let this happen to me. Right? That's what usually is the catalyst for us learning how to pray. Because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a conversation with God. Private disciplines. The next one is this. It's personal ministry. That when you talk to people somewhere along the line, their story is going to say, and then they invited me to volunteer. And then I started to help out in this area. Or, and then I signed up, and I don't know why, but I signed up to go on this mission trip. And that somewhere along the line, that I was sacrificing my time, I was sacrificing my vacation time, I was sacrificing my weekend time, and in that, God did something. That he put me in a place where I was surrounded by people who would, who would reflect the same struggles and the same faith that I had. And that would move me in that direction of having more faith instead of that direction of having less faith. And then the fifth one is this. It's pivotal circumstances. Someone died. And it completely changed my life. I've been working at the same place for 30 years. And then I got laid off. And I didn't know what to do. I was married for 30 years. And I'm in the middle of a horrible divorce. Some pivotal circumstance, some, some, some event in life that, that happened out of nowhere that, was, that, that everyone else could see was coming, but for you was totally unexpected. And, and it was the catalyst that God used to change your life. And it's not always bad stuff. For a lot of people, their pathway back to faith happened with something really, really amazing, like, like they had a baby. And all of a sudden, the, the, the husband and the wife, they're holding this baby, and, and the realization comes in them that I am responsible for this life. And that not, I, I have to take care of this life, and we have, to, we have to teach this kid stuff, and we have to teach them about God. And, and then they suddenly realize, I don't know anything about God, do you? And then, no, I don't know anything about God, do you? And so they're trying to figure it out, and they say, well, we better go find somebody who knows something about God. And that's what brings them back. That's what gets them to start asking the questions. Because something amazing happened in their life. You know, the interesting thing is that the, the pivotal circumstance that makes the biggest difference for many, many men is finances. The pivotal circumstance was for them was that at some point they made the decision that I'm going to take part of my finances and I'm going to dedicate them to something other than me. That I'm going to dedicate them to God. I'm going to invest in, in this mission or in this, this mission work. Or I'm going to invest in this church. That, they're going to, that they will tell you that releasing that, releasing that allowed them to release the grip that greed and pride had on them. And they'll tell you, you know, I know scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. Well, God didn't really love me in the beginning because I was giving, but I wasn't cheerful. But in those situations, in those circumstances that have to do with our careers and our jobs, and for many men, their careers and our jobs and how much money we make goes to the very heart of who we believe we are. That's the pivotal circumstance that allows God to just break open the hold that the world has on us. So those are the five things. 
practical teaching, providential relationships, private disciplines, personal ministry, pivotal circumstances. And those aren't things that you do. Those are things that God uses as they come into our lives. It's not like you can go out and say, you know what, I need to have a providential relationship. And you look around and you go, you. I'm going to have a providential relationship. With you. Come on over here. I think God wants us to talk. That's not how it happens. In fact, most of these things are things that happen that you only see them when they're in your rearview mirror and you can look back on them and you can go, oh, okay, I get it. But these are what I believe are the five things that God uses to grow our faith. And the reason that he wants to grow our faith is not because he wants us to obey more. Remember, that was never God's plan. That was never God's intentional purpose was just simply to get us obey, to obey. It's not for us to obey more. It's for us to trust more, to have more faith in him. Because what God ultimately wants from us is a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with us. And in the same way that our relationships with each other grow stronger, when, we, when our faith in each other and our trust in each other is strong, our faith and our trust in God, as it increases, our relationship with Him grows stronger. Because like it is with us, the greater the faith, the greater the relationship. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.